Hey listeners, JW here with a quick note. The fall contest is complete and guest judges Katie McDougall and A.M. Ringwalt have selected the winners. Those shows will be coming up in the next several months. In the meantime, we pulled two shows from the archives. Today's show features Katie McDougall's previous interview and our next show will be A.M. Ringwalt's. We hope you enjoy learning and listening to the works by both of our guest judges. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome to the Story Discovery Podcast. I'm your co-host, J.W. McAteer. Coming up, you'll hear a new work from our free online publication, Etched Onyx. Please join me and co-host Melissa Collings after the reading when we talk with the author about their work and all things writing and otherwise. This podcast and all related materials are a production of Onyx Publications. All works, stories, and poems are copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Today's show is a special edition where we talk with a Nashville literary fixture Katie McDougall, writer and co-founder of The Porch, a nonprofit writer's collective. Coming up, you'll hear the prologue for a work in progress by Katie, currently titled Lady of the Lake. After the reading, where we get insight from Katie's years of experience, writing, working with agents, and managing The Porch. Today's special edition story is Lady of the Lake Prologue, written by Katie McDougall, and narrated by Melissa Collings. Settle in and enjoy. Prologue, July 15. High in the San Juan Mountains, Allison Bosch stands alone on a seldom-traveled ridge. In the distance glimmers their destination, a glacial lake the color of sky. Early-season wildflowers slope up from the basin, a shy smattering of yellow, purple, and pink. At Allison's side stands her mottled sheepdog, gaze fastened on the turquoise lake. Jez barks, just once, and together the two move forward. Today is Allison's birthday, her 60th. 60 years, over 20,000 days, too many hours and minutes for simple math. Thank you, she says to Jez, who heals at the sound of her voice. Allison bends to hug her companion, arms slung around flank, nose in furry, earth-scented neck. Jez holds still, resting her snout on Allison's shoulder, while Allison cries. Just a little. The beauty does it to her. That and what the beauty can't give. Because he is dead. Which is why she comes here, in pilgrimage. Sixteen years today. She releases the dog and resumes walking. Thank you, she says again. In a way, it feels like a birthday gift, having these mountains to herself and doing the thing she loves best, the thing he loved best too. Simply putting one foot in front of the other, high above tree line in this wind-swept, sun-baked, rocky landscape of jagged peaks and astonishing blue sky, where angles and sharp edges are as inhospitable as they are alluring. Home. But sixty? Sixteen? Good God. The tricks time plays. Allison's eyes sweep the lake's west-facing slope, looking for her mountain goats, but they are absent today, like her sons, who forgot. 
Jez startles, hair on end, posture stiff. Before them on the trail, a lone mountain goat appears as if born suddenly of the rocks, clad in woolly white, sharp horns pointed to the sky. Not absent, Allison thinks, connecting gazes with the serene mythical creature. Jez barks once and bolts toward the billy, a missile of sound and fury. No, Jez! Allison lunges after her, sidles, sidesteps, trips over a ledge. Earth gives way to air. Rocks knock together and slide under her feet. Allison tries to balance, tries to stop herself, arms out, weight back, but only gains velocity. A small angled boulder blocks her path. She hits hard and plummets, tumbling over and tumbling again, until finally she stops. Oh God, she thinks. Her left boot remains planted under the rock. A singed marshmallow cloud creeps over the sun and explodes into floating particles. She turns her head, gags. Sun and shadow play across the basin. Allison lies, splayed on her right hip, her head suddenly below her feet, body pressed against the steep, rocky slope. The skin of her right arm, hip, and side of her face flame with blood and debris. Sharp rocks dig into her right leg. The other leg is bent above her at an impossible angle, the bone above the ankle surging outward beneath skin. A bouquet of alpine sunflowers at her shoulder peer down at her, startled. From her upside-down bearing, the vast, lonesome landscape spins, taunts. Who could help? No one. Because there would be no possibility of a someone. Not on this trail. If you could even call it a trail. Which is precisely why Gordy loved it. Unmarked. Uncharted. Absent of others. The pain arrives. Sharp. Totally invasive of her faculties. It is so fierce she can hardly breathe. Hardly weep. In a burst of motion, Allison tries to set up. To right herself but only slides further down the slope, head first, until she lodges into a blocky boulder. A screeching explosion in her shoulder. Her tears taste like blood. Jez returns to her in a frantic lope and finding the wound on her temple, licks it with agitated attention. No, Allison manages. Jez takes a step back and barks twice. The mountain goat has vanished. Clouds shapeshift, merge, separate. Allison removes herself from her day pack, carefully, painfully, and dumps out its contents. Two lunch sacks, RC colas, water bottle, rain gear, and down coat. Space blanket, E.E. E. Cummings' complete poems, a thick letter tucked in its pages, first aid kit, cell phone, two-way radio. Desperate and clumsy, she stabs at the radio, trying all of its channels. Nothing. No signal on her cell phone. She knocks it against the rock, hoping to shock it to life. She talks to Jez and says, Please, God, please help. With excruciating effort, she puts on her jacket. Her shoulder rages. Jez sniffs and whines at her neck and at her pack. Allison is cold despite the hard sun and covers herself with the blanket, which torches the leg, igniting bright, flashing, pounding lights like sirens, she drops in and out of consciousness. When she's clear, she finds Jez nestled next to her, and she allows herself to weep at the loyalty of her dog and at the outrageous bad luck of it all. She will die here, alone, on her 60th birthday, without her sons, who forgot. Gordy? Same lake, same ridge. Help, she says to him. 
or to Jez, or maybe she just thinks it as the storm clouds gather in the distance. You've just listened to the prologue for a work in progress by Katie McDougall. Its current title is Lady of the Lake. My co-host today is Melissa Collings, and I'm Jim McAteer. We're here with Katie, who is a literary fixture here in Nashville as co-founder of The Porch. She'll talk more about that with us here shortly, but we're thrilled to have her on the show to talk about her current work in progress, as well as life in general and writing and The Porch and everything. So welcome, Katie. Well, thank you. It's really good to be here. Appreciate it, Jim and Melissa. We're excited to talk to you. Glad to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Well, I guess before we begin diving in on your current work in progress, give us a little background about yourself. Tell us what you'd like our readers and listeners to know. Well, um, I am a Nashville native, and I I, um, went to school out in Colorado and kind of fell in love with the mountains and lived out there for um, almost 20 years. But um, I've been writing fiction now. Moved back to Nashville after my time in Colorado and uh, have been writing fiction for, I don't know, 25, 30 years. Good long time. Great. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I got an MFA in creative writing when I lived in Colorado um, and uh, was also a high school English teacher for the first, I think, 15 years of my career. And then... Uh, jumped ship from that and in 2014 co-founded The Porch, which is the literary uh, arts nonprofit that I help run with the other co-founder, Susanna Feltz. And uh, so I kind of divide my life these days between writing fiction and um, running a, an arts nonprofit. It's, it's a good life. Oh, no doubt. Well, and The Porch really has become kind of a... Um... I had a place for folks to learn and to share. It's a great thing to have in the national community, and I'm really happy you guys did that. So thank you. Well, thank you. <laughs> I think such it's such a welcoming message when you first open up the website, bringing voices to the page, a home for writers and readers. And that's so welcoming. It makes you feel like you want to be a part of that endeavor. Well, that that's great to hear. We actually uh, we we just did a website redesign, and we were very intentional, and and that was actually exactly what we're going for because we we hope to be a encouraging, welcoming space, and I'm glad that the website um, <laughs> gets that across. It is. It's already drawing you in. <laughs> great. Well, hey, okay, so folks have just listened to your prologue, and I found it very compelling. It sucked me right in. So congratulations on that. It did. Can me you? Too. Tell us a bit about it um, without giving away the ending or turning people away from buying it. <laughs> you know, so it, obviously it's set in, I guess, Colorado, San Juan Mountains. Is that is that a place that you used to hike? Um, yes, it is. It is set mostly, well, actually, um, so it's a braided narrative. Uh, the main character, Allison, is in the San Juan Mountains, the um, sort of southwestern Colorado, uh, however, it's the, the other main characters are her two sons who are 20-something young men, and one is, is an aspiring singer-songwriter in Nashville, uh, and the yeah. other Great. is uh, <laughs> yeah. a founder of a successful uh, brew pub or brewery in Denver. So they're all kind of um, geographies that I know and love well. Um, and the fourth character is is the man who who finds her on the mountain. Oh, okay. 
You said it's it's a braided narrative. I haven't heard that term before. What do you mean? Is it changing POVs? Yes, exactly, exactly. Each chapter switches the the point of view um, to those those sort of four main characters. Yeah. So you know. So ultimately, it's um, there's a family secret. There is um, there's a, a character who is the the father who's long dead and and in the course of of the novel they each of these four characters um kind of have their own coming of age again Mm -hmm. usually you use that term for teenagers coming of age but really i think we all come of age multiple times in our lives and so it's it's a novel um kind of weaves together these people who are tied by family and by loss and um and by love of the mountains that's great sounds amazing yeah it does well and um so her husband then the father of the kids he's he's the one that died he died on the mountain i take it yes yeah okay okay yeah because i i thought so she's having a vision of him or something like that and then you kind of leave us on the cliffhanger it's very good yes (laughs) and jim is exactly right it pulls you in from the start now i I have to read the rest of it. <laughs> well, uh, I, I, that would delight me. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like, so are you done? Is it completely done? Are you just shopping it at this point or still tweaking it? Well, so um, to be to be perfectly honest, the story of this novel is a bit of a novel in and of itself. I finished it for the first time uh, in December of 2016. Um, and so what are we now? yeah so i um you know at that that point i engaged an editor did some significant revisions within the year put it put it out for um you know to find an agent found an agent to do um revisions it's been about another half year doing the revisions um at which point she'd sort of shifted gears and so i had to search for an agent again it's been mm-hmm. another you know half a year I found another agent who asked me to do a revision uh so this brings me up to about a year and a half ago she has shopped the book and we got enough feedback that has led me back to doing another revision which um I started <laughs> I, I hope this doesn't discourage uh aspiring writers I actually <laughs> you know I kind of for me it is what it is but um this revision I started about a year and a half ago but um the plot thickened I think that was really yeah. the feedback we needed was uh you know more narrative propulsion and so in sort of uh adding plot layers um I've really found myself um, having to change a lot of, of the novel. So, so anyway, I am, I'm a stone's throw from completing this revision and you know, that I don't know how this, this, (laughs) the story of the novel ends either. It will have been, um, a cautionary tale against, uh, (laughs) just stubbornly sticking with the same project or it will be a story of perseverance. But I think the good news is I, I love my early mornings at the writing desk, and if this yeah. book never arrives out in the world, I will I will not regret it because you know it's just to me it's a it's a great way to start the day um, quietly. I agree. What time do you get up to start writing? 
Um, I get up at 5.30, so I'm usually at my desk by 6, and generally the first several hours of the day, um, get my writing craft, and then I open my emails, <laughs> and it's in the sprint. That's I love smart. that. Yeah. There's there's something secretive about the morning that I feel like I can accomplish more in the morning. I love to write too in the morning. My brain is fresh. I can drink as much coffee as I want. And I don't feel like anyone is just, you know, waiting for me to call back or reply to the text or, you know, anything <laughs> like that in the early mornings. Yes. Yeah. I think the key to that strategy is like getting on the computer to write and not opening email or any of the other stuff. Because once you do, yeah. it's a rabbit hole. You just spin down. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Then you don't get any writing done that, in that fresh morning air. No, no. I often tell myself if, you know, the end of my writing time comes and I think, okay, well, I'm going to do another 45 minutes in the afternoon. And I'd say that happens maybe 20% of the time. It just, you know, <laughs> exactly. It's just hard you... to predict what's going to be going on at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, yeah. Yep. Well, do you set a goal, like a word, do you have a word goal or are you just a time goal or like a, I'm gonna, I got to work on this part of this chapter goal or you just write? It's a good question. I do not set a word goal. I'm, I'm sort of, uh, it works for a lot of people. Um, it does not work for me. I, I, my process is extremely slow. I, I will draft, um, I'll print that draft. I'll, you know, look at the hard copy, make make edits, put it in the computer, print again, um, and and just keep going with the chapter until it feels right. Um, so you're kind of editing as you go, then. I yeah, I definitely edit it as I go, but then so maybe you know six months later, and I've got uh, ten chapters or something to look at, then I will read through them all. And then I'll end up going back in and, tweak, you know, retweaking. Yeah. So I, I don't, I mean, I, I'm not sure. It, I'm not sure that my process is the best process, but it's the one that has organically, you know, come to me over 25 years. But I'm always, when I hear about, for example, NaNoWriMo, which I love because it gets people writing, but I yeah. personally feel like, the idea of, you know, having that kind of um, word count goal is would be really hard. <laughs> it's pressure. It is pressure. It's a lot of pressure. And sometimes writing under extreme pressure, you don't, you just don't get as quality of, of work. Right. But everybody's different. I think that's the beauty of writing is that just like you're, you're talking about your process, I love the process of you getting an agent and going through that. You said you didn't want to discourage writers, but I think that is really encouraging because it shows you that it's a really hard process and it takes a lot, but I think perseverance gets you where you need to be. And regardless, I mean, it sounds like your novel is, is going to go somewhere, especially, I mean, I know I've just read the first first five pages, but still that's what draws you in for a lot of people. That's what makes people decide whether they're going to read the whole thing or not. But that is it part of your journey, you know, whether it becomes an actual novel or whether it becomes, like you said, a cautionary tale, you, you have grown from it. And your own, even this novel has grown, which I think is just fantastic. You think you're done, but you are just not done. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and I think probably, and I've heard this advice too, it's really hard to ever say it's done. And at some point you just have to say it. Uh, and I haven't, you know, I haven't reached that point necessarily where I've said I won't go back to it anymore. I've, I don't know. Um, there's so many possibilities in story, 
just as there are in life. And so every sort of, you know, iteration of change, yeah, it makes sense for the time. And then I may find out later, well, maybe that didn't. So I don't know. Yeah. Part of those later tweaks, you have to go back and then you find, oh, I need this little piece of richness to add to the front. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Right. So did the second editor take it in a completely different direction? Uh, The second agent. um, I'm sorry. What did I say? Director? You said editor. Editor. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I wish there was an editor. I know. (laughs) Yes. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh. A little, a little bit, but it was more, you know, with these four characters, uh, refocusing, you know, this character is, is undeveloped a little bit more. So, and maybe thinking about, I think we shifted the order. At this point, I've done enough major revisions that I get confused when I think back yeah. on what, yeah, what sure, I sure. did then. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, and, and you know, it is, it is a, there's got, it's a labor of love. And, and I, I talk about these things lightly now when I've received the emails uh, that said, uh, you know, let's, let's hold off for now. It's been crushing. But, oh, yeah. yeah, sure, sure. But again, it's just getting back on the horse. And... It's part of the problem. Well, and you're a published writer, so I think that, you know, other folks will be glad to hear it's, it still happens. You know what I mean? It's still a process. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, yep. Good, good. What, what is this genre? It feels literary to me. I think in the query letter, I call it uh, literary fiction with a commercial twist. Okay. Commercial appeal, yeah? Commercial appeal is maybe how I phrased it, yeah. I love it. It's beautiful writing. really is. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. We're already about halfway through, so I want to make sure we do have some time to talk about The Porch. It's a nonprofit um, membership. You do classes. There's really, if you go to the website, there's, it's kind of overwhelming the amount of uh, opportunities you provide to writers and young writers also. Do you want to talk a little bit about kind of what you guys are doing? Sure. So we're in our eighth year now. Um, and so all the various legs of what we're doing, we've, we've added new legs and grown legs along the way. So um, <laughs> it's, it's been a really exciting process. Um, the main thrust of what we do are our adult workshops um, in fiction, creative nonfiction, poetry, a little bit of screenwriting, um, sometimes specialized topics like travel writing. Um, so we've got, we've got those workshops and, you know, increasing them all the time in number and uh, variety. Uh, we have youth programs. And that's been slightly quieter this year since we've gone remote. Right. Because they're not able to go into the schools and into the um, sort of enrichment program, after school enrichment program. So those are after, those are actually after school uh, programs where you go on site? We've, we've got a little bit of both, but um, NASA, which is Nashville After School Zone Alliance, um, has a number of sites around Nashville that provides uh, after school enrichment for middle school kids. And we are typically in. Uh, as many as five different NASA sites doing um, after-school programs. That's That's so great. So, yeah, we've got that. We've, um, you know, other programs, we've got an Immigrants' Right program, and that's free to immigrants and refugees, and we've been doing that for about six years. Before COVID, we were going into senior homes and teaching creative writing for seniors. That's amazing. A lot of classes through Nashville Public Library that are free through, uh, you know, to 
um, community members through the branches. In fact, Jim, that's how I... Right, that's how we met, yeah. <laughs> branch library. Um, so we've got all that going. Um, and then in addition, we do events. Now, you know, fewer, but um, mm-hmm. typically once a month, uh, readings and panels and um, so socials, um, happy hours, brown bag lunches. In fact, just today, I mean, this is sort of a fairly typical week, just from... Um, right before this, we had a brown bag lunch on writing nonfiction book proposals. And, you know, yesterday, I think, or maybe it was Monday night, we had a happy hour helping launch a book one of our local writers has, has just published. Um, we had a class that we were doing in partnership with Metro Arts uh, called Power of the Pen, which was an anti-racism writing workshop. So that also oh, was terrific. Monday night. Um, so there's always just kind of lots of stuff going on. We also do editorial services. So if people want manuscript coaching or um, if they've got a manuscript they want edited, we've got a pretty robust service helping people doing that as well. But that's primarily a connection thing, right? So those aren't employees of the porch or anything. They're just, you're helping connect writers with resources. Right, they're contracted through the porch, but we so we oh, do. Okay. It's more than that. just connecting. Wow. Yeah, we actually sort of have a, a team of editors and uh, a whole kind of process where the writer will describe what what sort of help they want, and then we'll match them, but through one of our uh, editors. Oh, that's, that's great! Awesome. So, are they actually paying you, and then you pay the editor? Right. Wow, that's great. Exactly. So, yeah. And, you know, we're hoping to get retreats going again shortly. That's something that we've done in the past. And uh, I jotted down, yeah, I think that pretty much covers us. Oh my goodness. <laughs> How do you have time to write with all the, the varied things going on? That's amazing. I appreciate you asking that. Most people ask me, so do you have another job on top of that? Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no. That's like two full-time jobs. It's uh, it's early morning writing, but also, you know, it's not just me, Susanna, and, and then uh, Lisa um, is also, we, we have various, you know, Lisa that helps us with a lot of admin, Joe does our youth programs, Nina does the immigrants right, so we, we have, um, and, and also we have probably about 70 contracted instructors and editors who... 70... Wow. Yeah, I think, so I mean, they, not all at, at the same time, but over yeah. the course of, you know, our pool of instructors and editors. This is a pretty big venture then. Did you expect it to, I know you probably get asked that all the time. Did you expect it to go here this big? Uh, that's a great question. You know, we had some models. Uh, there's Grub Street in Boston and The Loft in Minneapolis, Lighthouse in, in uh, Denver, so they are all much older, much more established, and much bigger. So we had that in mind that we could, you know, be like them someday. We're, we're getting yeah. to be like them much more quickly than we had anticipated. I think Nashville is just, you know, we have a, a creative community and a yeah. vibrancy that, that made the porch, you know, a really good fit, right fit at the right time. Yeah, and yeah. Nashville's growing so much too. So, right, you have a lot of transplants coming in. Yeah, and they're bringing their expectations with them. Right, it's true. And then since COVID, since our classes have gone online, we're no longer limited to Nashville. Yeah. Just this past year, one of the big surprises is we had 
um, registrants from 36 different states and 11 different countries. That is terrific. Wow. It is. We, we were, this time last year, we were preparing for the end, you know, it was all doom and gloom. And then right. as it turned out, um, you know, we, at least for our adult workshops, we, uh, I think it was about a 25% growth or maybe 30% wow. growth. That said, we weren't able to have our annual fundraiser and, you know, so we were definitely Changed. navigating some things, but. Yeah. Right. Well, are you doing a fundraiser online? I think I saw. Um... We are we have some events online. We don't really have a fundraiser oh, okay. lined up yet. Hmm, I thought I saw something on that, but I could just be making it up. <laughs> um, we're in conversation about doing doing something. Um, okay. Well, lots of other places. The symphony here in town. Well, I'm on a lot of lists, so we. Uh, I know the symphony's been doing their online. You know, but it's kind of going virtual where they can, and having people donate to participate. Right. Right. It's, it's, you know, people have been so generous and that's great. It's harder to get corporate sponsors on board when you don't have an event. Yeah. We got a grant uh, from Tennessee Arts Commission to put together an anthology of... That's just what I was going to ask yeah. you about. Right. From Tennessee writers writing about 2020 in this wild year it was. And so when that book comes out, we're thinking we will try to maybe combine it with a event that will serve as a fundraiser. But that's really exciting. Is this the first book adventure that the porch has ended up, has started? Maybe the most significant one. We had done an anthology for the immigrants right program, but no, this will be the first one like this. Yes. That sounds terrific. Yeah. Where will that go? Where do you anticipate that anthology setting? That's a great question. You know, I hope that our local bookstores might make it available. Certainly will make it available. Hopefully the authors, I think we'll have 20 authors in there, authors and poets. So thinking about where where it ends up is a, is a question that we're still kind of working through. But yeah. It'll probably present itself. It's super exciting, though, to get that going. Yeah, we'll have some press releases and try to, you know. Yeah. It should be, I think, June is, is when we're hoping to launch. That's true. That's, that's going to be here before you know it. Yes. <laughs> so in terms of the porch, what's been one of the most rewarding aspects of getting that thing started and creating that community? Yeah, good question. You know, I would say... The community, the the uh, kind of the tribe, although that sounds tribal. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, when we launched, we we didn't know who, if anyone, would show up, and now I don't know. It's just really cool. There's pockets of people all over Nashville who've grown to know each other through the porch, writing groups that have formed out of our workshops um when we have events it's just a sort of coming together a family even the online events we've been doing so i think writing is a solitary act um it is and so having community around it is this kind of a blessing you know you write this piece and to be able to make yourself vulnerable and share it um there's just so much i don't know um community building yeah I was going to say that writing can be such a lonely process and to be able to share that with people that understand the struggles of writing and, and your imaginary friends, you know, <laughs> that you have, yeah. it's, it's really fun. And 
it's, it's a rewarding experience to be able to share that. It changes things. It did for me when I was writing alone versus writing with, with people. Right. It made a big difference. It does. I mean, I, I think uh, the other half of that answer for me is the teaching that I have done. And lately I haven't been teaching um, that much, but I hope to get back to it. But um, the, the communities, even the like little micro community that forms within a multi-week class. Uh, yeah. Hmm. It's just really special. So. And that's got to make you feel good because you're a facilitator of that. And that's what people need. They need somewhere to go. And just like we were talking about the, the verbiage on your website, mm-hmm. letting people have a home, that the writers have a home, and that common bond is really fun. It's, it's very rewarding. And so it's got to be for you a rewarding experience to bring people together like that. Yeah, it has been. You know, I was, uh, like I mentioned, I was a high school English teacher for most of my career, and that was rewarding to accept mm. the differences. Um, not every individual in one's high school class really wants to be sitting in their high school English class. <laughs> um, exactly. Or do they really, you know, like to read or write? Uh, it was very rewarding for those that did, but everyone who comes to a porch class for whatever reason, you know, has a story to tell. They want to meet people. They want to learn. And and also the other really cool thing is it's people from all walks. Uh, you know, yeah. someone who said, well, gosh, I moved here two weeks ago. I just graduated from college. I loved college or I loved creative writing in college. So just looking, you know, to keep it going. And then you have on the other side of the spectrum, I'm a, 75 year old uh i've always Mm -hmm. dreamed of telling the story yeah and finally getting the nerve you know have time to do it and so and everything in between so yeah it has been really rewarding that's cool well what about um so now that you have this sort of international community has that changed like so if you're i assume you're doing sort of zoom classes or virtual classes where you you can interact is that made things different that's unique yeah yeah you know, it, it is, it's different. Um, it works. I think we're all getting used to, to Zoom. And mm-hmm. so, oh, yeah. um, you know, at first it was just, it felt weird. But I think it's pretty amazing. Now, you know, I used to, when we sat around the table, and I do look forward to returning to that table. Yes. And, yeah. You know, I went around, introduced everyone lived in Nashville. That's why they were, you know, how they came to be. But now when we go around the Zoom room, people will, it's just wild, you know, so I'm calling from Utah. And <laughs> Do you think you try to keep some kind of aspect of the virtual component of the teaching when you do your classes again? Have you thought about that? Yes, we've, we've thought a lot about that. Um, I think we will absolutely continue our virtual classes and we will absolutely return to in-person classes. The question that is mysterious to me is whether we try to do hybrid. Right. And I think they're yeah. going to probably just need to say separate things. Yeah. That seems logical. Sure. I think otherwise technology gets. Yeah, it can interfere, kind of it disrupts. And um, I know from we have kids who are attending school and if they have and they do try to do both, you know, at times um, in class, plus people being on Zoom or virtual at some point they had to hire someone just to do the virtual component of that because you can't do both. You know, you can't yeah. have your attention on your students and they're in front of you and on the screen. Yeah. There, cause there are glitches on the computer too. We had a similar experience on our end for ballet class. Mm. 
Virtual ballet class. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a whole nother topic. But yeah, you install we do some bars somewhere. Ballet. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. With regards to your teaching, are there certain aspects of it that you really connect with? You know, um, when you have your either your favorite classes or. Um, you know, I love teaching foundations of fiction, um, which is sort of our you know uh, starting level fiction class. It's an eight week class, and uh, I just. It's always a lot of fun. Um, our workshops, uh, you know, the novel workshop, the short story workshop where people are putting their work out, um, there's the bonding there is fairly intense uh, just mm-hmm. because of the yeah. vulnerability. But I think I've really enjoyed everything I teach. I, I really think that, interestingly, teaching and writing are in some ways the same in that you are empathizing with the audience trying to figure yeah. out what's the best way to make this an experience. Hmm. That's a and good point. So yeah, it's really fun for me. I, I like the creative, I like the craft of designing lessons and classes, uh, just as I like the craft of writing a scene, um, telling a story. I bet there's joy too in sharing your experience as with the page. Yeah. Yeah. When you're, you have a lot of experience by putting you're you're going through the same struggles so you can really empathize and teach through some of those things and how you've how you've made it through some of the humps you've had to go over right no i mean it's absolutely the, you know what i'm so passionate about and again not to <laughs> I, I had a great experience as a high school english teacher but i can't say i ever felt a whole lot of passion in talking about for example grammar um, right <laughs> It's a whole different beast, right? It's a different thing, but to talk about, gosh, how do you write dialogue? Like, I get pretty excited about that topic. I was thinking about that today, and I want to ask you about your writing space, but I was thinking about crafting dialogue today because I used to go to Starbucks, and I would kind of eavesdrop on conversations, and I loved that, and it helped me with dialogue, and of course, I don't do that anymore because of the pandemic, but... um, (laughs) That, that was a fun thing. It just made me think of that. But what is your what is your writing space look like? How do when you get up at five, six in the morning, where do you set? Do you set at your desk? Do you like to write in a certain location? Yeah, I so I divide my time between Nashville and Swanee. Um, I'm actually up in Swanee. Oh, wow. But um, so in Nashville, I live in a condo and my desk is in my bedroom. And so, you know, <laughs> there are there are days where I, you know, maybe take 10 steps all day because I go get the coffee and, you know, <laughs> go back um, to my desk. But then in 20, um, so my, my boyfriend lives up here and I've got this great writing space that, you know, looking out the window, it's, it's all trees. And so yeah, this morning wonderful. it was super foggy and uh, just looking at, in the branches, the, the buds are just about to burst oh, open. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, um, and I've just been creating, you know, adding piles of books. I like to have books in my writing space so that I can oh, yeah. feel the presence of my mentors. <laughs> that's, that's so that's great. Really great. That's cool. I love well, that. we are actually already coming up on time. Um, this is a question that I wanted to ask. It's just something I'm going to ask. I think I've asked every single one so far. And it might be getting boring for our listeners, but I just i am fascinated by it. So are you uh, <laughs> an outliner or are you a um, discovery writer slash pantser? Like what... Um, that never gets old. You always. I, have I to just ask have that. to know because yeah, people are I so too. different. Yeah. yeah. Right. No, I think it's a great question. Um, I'm sort of a hybrid. Uh, the 
The first novel I wrote was Pure Discovery. I thought it was a short story, and it just kept going. Not the color wheel? The color wheel, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, but it also just kept going in the wrong direction for a long time. And at one point I you know, <laughs> had to start over. So I tried with this one to have at least have the idea of the narrative arc set up beforehand. And, and that helped, except for now I've spent even longer on this novel than on the color <laughs> wheel. So I don't know. Um, I, I'm not strict outliner, but I do think it helps to know where you're going. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Well, our last um, writer on the show, he felt like he was a hybrid. And I think I fall into that category where I know the broad strokes. I know what has to happen kind of as my climax and, you know, but I don't even know who the characters are necessarily. You know, I just, um, and so I'm, a new character might pop in and change some things. But in general, I have a sense of what's supposed to happen. But that gets frustrating because... I'll, I'm trying to, I was trying to end it and I kept not like writing towards that ending. You know, it just, the discovery part of me was like not going there. So that was a bit challenging. Yeah. Right. I mean, efficiency is, is a hard thing with, with writing. I mean, I'm right now trying to figure out why can I not finish this chapter I've been working on forever. And, and I realized yeah. it's because I added, I added something new and I, I have to discover that new thing I added, you know, a little yeah. backstory that I'm developing. And it's only, you know, maybe three or four pages, but I, I want to get it right. And I want to make sure. So I overwrite it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I cut it way back. And then I, you know. Right. Sometimes you have to do that, that discovery draft to know the backstory of the character so that you can make those, the page really genuine. Yes. I, I found, but then it's, then you have the problem of, okay, how much is too much? How much do I leave and how much do I take out? Because then you get attached to everything. And I love that phrase from Stephen King's on writing book, to slay your darlings. Yeah. You have to, to slay some of the darlings and that can become hard. <laughs> but yeah, true. I think you, you have to put it all on the page. You have to get it out there first. Right. I have a document I keep called Remnants. You know, where all those darlings, I can feel a little bit better about them because yes. I just cut and paste them onto this remnants. And I think, oh, I can return to that if I really want it. And I never but do. I never, never do. have. But. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I do the same thing. I have I have a cut for now section. Like I just took yeah. it out. I put it in a cut for now. And then if I remember later on, I'm like, oh, I can add this in or it might fit it in somewhere else. So that's that's great. Yeah. Cool. You said, you said, Katie, you hardly ever go back to that one. Mm -mm. Yeah. <laughs> same. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Cool. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. Um, is there, would you like to let folks know where they can buy your novel in the future or find out more about you or The Porch or any of those things? Well, so The Porch, uh, the website is porchtn.org. And, you know, jump on the site, sign up for our newsletter. We send them out about once a week. And uh, there's just always new things happening. Uh, you can follow us on social media as well. Great. I have a website, but it is it tends to not get much attention. It's katiemcdougall.com. <laughs> but, you know, should should this book find its home, which let's hope. Yes, um, definitely. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll be sure to make as much noise as as I can. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. Once you you've done that, you let us know. We'll spread the word on our social media too. So, Oh, course. Awesome. Well, congrats yeah. for what you guys have accomplished in this short amount of time. I'm really uh, I think it's fantastic and Welcome you to the uh, literary landscape. 
Well, thank you. We're excited to be here. You're right. Nashville is a super creative place, and um, it's so easy for us to draw on local resources to help us. And thank you for you know helping us. Even in the beginning, before we started this endeavor, we reached out to you to kind of get your your thoughts. And so it's been great. Thanks so much. Anytime. Partnership is, is critical. So yeah, consider really us partners. Is. All right. Well, thanks so much. We'll um, see you at the bookstore or something. Yes. yes. Look forward to it. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please help us spread the word by telling your friends, giving us a rating on your favorite podcast app, or better yet, shout it from the rooftops through your social media outlet of choice. The Story Discovery Podcast is a free, narrated podcast of the works that appear in Etched Onyx Magazine, edited by J.W. McAteer and Kevin McMahon. All stories are available for free at onyxpublications.com. That's O-N-Y-X publications.com. If you'd like to support the continuation of this podcast and or the magazine, please consider a small donation through Patreon at patreon.com slash onyxpublications. As a nano publishing house, we are always looking for new stories to showcase. If you'd like to submit a story for consideration, visit the submissions page on our website. Until next time, keep reading and writing.